Hello, hello, and welcome to episode four of Through the Needle. This is a podcast where we look at the complexities of neighborhood transformation and dream about what in the world God might be inviting the church to do in response to that change. This is the last episode. Wow. We've, we've had a fun few weeks setting the stage for today's show where we are going to look at some of the options God might be inviting the church into. I'm so glad you've joined me for this as I really do think it is an extremely important and urgent conversation for church leaders to have. In the last three episodes, we've looked at neighborhood transformation and all the things that that entails. We've looked at money and how that is pretty much the driving force of neighborhood change. And last episode, we looked at why this is important for the church to engage in. And that is really all the introduction that we have today. So just enjoy a few more seconds of this music and then we'll hit it. Hopefully by now, if you've made it this far through the podcast, you have been convinced that it is important for the church to do something about neighborhood transformation. I've tried to show why neighborhood transformation is important and how it affects people, communities, and churches. And so now I think it is appropriate for us to look at some real ideas for what the church can do. I can hear some of you saying, finally, he's getting to the tangible things we can do. Yes, we are. If we just live in our communities and don't engage with neighborhood transformation at all, the church will disappear or become irrelevant. But the church should be relevant. Not just because it's good business to be relevant to our communities and our neighbors, but because the church should be engaged in the community because the love of Christ compels us to love our neighbors. And yes, it is easier for church leaders to sit on our hands and say that we will not get involved in contentious conversations or issues especially in the midst of the chaos of neighborhood transformation. However, we need to lean in to the hard things. When I was in high school, I was once asked, if your life following Christ is easy, are you sure it is Christ you are following? I still often think about that question and what it means for me today. I don't think that we should always be looking for opportunities to be uncomfortable or be in difficult situations, but I think it is correct that God will sometimes invite us to do things or enter situations that are very uncomfortable and difficult and make our stomachs nod up, our hands sweat, our voices tremble, our heartbeats speed up, and our breath quicken. But Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he, Christ, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What a paradoxical statement. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It makes no sense when you just say that, but for the power of Christ in us. Hard things are still hard for us. It still stinks to be weak. But we know the power of Christ is stronger than any weakness we may have. And even in the midst of being weak, we can trust in the goodness and the power of God. 
we don't really have good excuses to not do the hard things, to not lean into the difficulty of engaging our neighborhoods as they transform. So, so I hope that this episode can be an encouragement to us as church leaders. I do have a few suggestions for ways that churches can actually engage with their neighborhood, but I am going to try to intentionally leave these a little vague because each individual church should do the hard work of figuring out how to be the presence of Christ in their community. We can't copy and paste strategies and ideas, but I do think that we can take on certain mindsets which will help to do that hard work, and we can learn from what others have done. Now, doing the hard work of figuring out how to be the presence of Christ in our communities requires a lot of prayer. It requires a lot of talking with other Christians and church leaders and talking with God, and it involves acting on what you think you hear God inviting you to do. So this means that that we might make mistakes. Now, this, this means that we probably will make mistakes. Listening to God and acting on his invitation means that we're going to be taking risks. It means that we will risk doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing or going to the wrong places. It means that we will have to be vulnerable. But it is so worth it. For my wife and I, our listening to God has landed us here in this Blackwell, Manchester neighborhood of Richmond to plant Garden City Church. It is so difficult to do this, but knowing that God has invited us here and that God continues to invite us further into this transforming neighborhood gives us the strength and the courage to keep moving forward. I know that I've already made some mistakes and will keep making mistakes because this work is very difficult, but I can't go anywhere else because this is where God has called me. Okay, so all that said, these are the suggestions that I have that we're going to be covering today. Um, We have the idea of being missionaries where we live, how we can care for our communities as both neighborhood and as attractional churches, how the church can act as a shield or a barrier between the capitalistic market and the disadvantaged, and jobs, jobs, jobs. So, starting with the idea of being missionaries where we live. When I say this, being missionaries where we live, it it could come across like I'm saying that we should take on the mindset of thinking that we have all the answers to all the problems that the people in our neighborhood have around us, but I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I think that many of us need to rethink the way we see missionaries and where answers to problems should come from, learning to listen more and talk less empowering those who are serving to carry out their ideas for wholeness rather than bringing in our own. This may sound like a bit of a side tangent, but this also has a lot of bearing for people who are moving into new neighborhoods. We need to listen first and act later. John Perkins and Wayne Gordon say in Making Neighborhoods Whole that our plans, ideas, and programs will only be as good as our willingness to let them be shaped by indigenous leaders' minds. (laughs) So for church leaders that are new to their neighborhoods, listening is the most important thing that you can do. That's what it means to be a missionary for you. But for those of you who have been rooted in your community for years, putting on a missionary mindset looks different. As one of the residents of the neighborhood, your ideas for the neighborhood might be good, so humbly sharing them is one way to be a missionary. But another way for you, and one that all of us can do, is to see every interaction we have as an opportunity to share the gospel and further the kingdom of God, bringing the wholeness of Christ to your neighborhood. When we think about sending missionaries abroad— 
We expect them to be praying for every opportunity to share the gospel. We expect them to be thinking of creative ways to do ministry in every situation they are in. We expect them to be always thinking about how they can share the love of Christ in every instance. Why, why would we have different expectations for ourselves? We can't have that disconnect. We are all on mission with God. We are all Christians who should be sharing the love of Christ with everyone around us. And the only difference between me here in Richmond and a conventional missionary in Nicaragua is that I am in Richmond and not in Nicaragua. I'm still a Christian. I'm still called by Christ to follow him and to share his good news with those around me. I should still be praying for every opportunity to share the gospel. I should still be thinking of creative ways to do ministry, being a neighbor and not just a resident in my community, as Shekinah talked about in the last episode. I can't stress this enough. We might not be career missionaries, but we are still Christians on mission with God. We are working locally to be transformationally missional in our lives by the power of God. So look at your neighborhood the way we expect missionaries to look at their neighborhoods. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Pray for creative ideas and wisdom as you approach the neighborhood that is changing around you. That's the first and I think the most important key to all of this, being missionaries right where we live. So now that, now that we have that settled and laid out there, we can move on to the rest of them. Another option for churches is to be a neighborhood church. What do I mean by neighborhood church? Well, uh, it can be summed up pretty well with the phrase, down with the mega church. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not true at all. Uh, I actually think there is an important place for what is often called the mega church, and we'll talk about it next with the attractional church model. I just I thought it would be funny if I said that. Anyways, uh, a neighborhood church is an intensely local expression of church. It is made up mostly of people from that neighborhood, and it is generally, but not always, on the, on the smaller side of things. And most, if not all, of their work is done right in the neighborhood around where the church meets. The focus of the church is on how God is inviting the neighborhood itself into wholeness, into relationship. Neighborhood churches take on a lot of different forms when we talk about the gathering that they do. Some meet in the local school auditorium or community center. Some meet around dinner tables. Some at the local park or in small church buildings, in grocery stores, breweries, things like this. They're often looking for their gathering format and place to present the least amount of barriers to the others in their neighborhood. But they, they also might look like the historic black church that has been the center of neighborhood activity for years, or the small old church on the corner where everyone walks to the gathering and takes the time to stop and talk to all their neighbors they pass on their way in. However they look, neighborhood churches are intensely local. If the church has members from outside of their neighborhood, they are clear that their focus is on the neighborhood they are in, and they invite others to come and love their neighborhood. They seek the wholeness and the flourishing of the immediate place where they find themselves. So another term that, that's often used for neighborhood churches is, is missional church and the idea of missional communities. 
And there's a lot of different organizations that have the goal to equip and resource different neighborhood church expressions. And if you are a leader of a neighborhood church or a church planter that feels called to plant a neighborhood church, it's essential to be connected with others who are also doing similar work. So organizations like, um, and I'll put links to these in the show notes, organizations like the Parish Collective or SOMA, or Intrepid Missions, the Table Network, Fresh Expressions, 3DM, the V3 Movement, Forge Network, and others. I mean, that's a lot I just listed. It's so easy these days to get connected to other church leaders doing similar things as you. We don't need to reinvent the wheel in every different expression. We can learn from each other. Of course, we do have to contextualize methods and strategies and spend time in prayer to discern what it looks like in our own communities, but there are many options for us to network. So that's the, that's the neighborhood church. Uh, that's one of the options that we have is to be, a, be an intensely local church. Then we have the attractional churches. And what can attractional churches offer neighborhoods that are in the midst of transformation or neighborhoods that are about to transform or have just transformed. Now, there is a trend around to to bash the attractional church model, which is kind of why I made the joke earlier about megachurches, but I think there is a lot of value in attractional churches. Now, of course, there are churches that take it too far and compromise on the gospels for the sake of relevancy, but by that same token, there are neighborhood and missional churches that take their model too far and compromise on the gospel for the sake of rootedness and loving their community. They can forget that God works in a myriad of ways and is at work outside of their community, and they can start to become more like the people in their neighborhood than the people in their neighborhood becoming more like Christ. Craig Wilson, whom we met in episode two, notes that many attractional or, or what he's, he called creative churches draw crowds from outside the neighborhoods, but across ethnic, racial, and socioeconomic lines. This is a good thing. These types of churches will draw in the people that wouldn't be interested in a neighborhood church. But just because somebody isn't interested in, in being a good neighbor in their community doesn't mean they don't deserve a chance to hear the gospel and let Christ change their lives. So all I'm saying here is that there are plenty of healthy expressions of both neighborhood and attractional churches. So if you are part of an attractional church, I still think you need to take care to think about the neighborhood that you are in. No matter who your target audience is, you can't separate the church from the place the church meets in. In the attractional church model, the, the gathering and the weekend service is often a large part of the focus, which, which means there are opportunities to be creative with your gathering space. So uh, I want you to listen to a little bit of what Craig Wilson experienced with some of the churches and transitional neighborhoods that he worked with. Well, and, and, you know, in reality, you know, if the neighborhood was such that the, the worship style of the people who live there now was never going to match up with the worship style of the people that were still inside the walls of that church, mm-hmm. there wasn't a, law, a strong chance that they were going to reach the neighborhood and bring people in on Sunday. Because yeah. um, just worship styles, worship likes and preferences are different. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Well, we would also, we'd all still try to encourage the churches to get to stay involved in the community those other days of the week when the building sat there for the most part empty, mm-hmm. you know, through daycare programs, preschool programs, after school programs, uh, f- you know, food programs, clothing programs, any way in which they could minister to this changed neighborhood they were in so that they were at least serving a missions or missionary purpose within their community. 
Uh, we did work with a lot of churches to allow a second congregation to use their facilities. Um, so, you know, if it was a mainly white congregation to allow an African-American church uh, in a changed neighborhood to use their facilities as a starting place, at least, for their, their church. A lot of times those would move on to another place when they had enough strength to buy their own building. Uh, but there were a lot of churches, during, especially during those big transition years, where there would be multiple congregations in a given building, uh, whether it be white, black, you know, Asian of some sort, Vietnamese, Korean. We we had churches up in Northern Virginia that we worked with that had as many as 12 different congregations inside really? of the buildings on different days of the week. You yeah. Know? Um, and that's, you know, that's good use of a building. Mm -hmm. um, and the white, mainly white congregation would be shrinking. So, you know, in terms of stewardship, it would be poor stewardship for them to, alone to try to use that building or maintain it because they yeah. couldn't afford to do it. Yeah. But when you had it that much use going on in the building, it was still very justified to have a big building like that. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and it, it would be interesting, a lot of times you get to the point where the host congregation was smaller than the ones they were hosting. Yeah. And then the question become, who, who gets the main sanctuary at 11 o'clock on Sunday? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because you know, we don't need it necessarily anymore, but we ain't giving it up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, yeah. this is our, that's sometimes where you get in the rub. This is our church. You guys still meet the fellowship at all, even though mm -hmm. you're twice our size at this point. So yeah. uh, not without its challenges, but um, mm -hmm. it's, it was very fun to work with churches at that point um, that would take on that missionary kind of viewpoint, you know, and, and there are other options beyond just sharing your meeting space with other churches, too. Uh, for example, Woodland Hills Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, it's in an old Home Depot building, which is large. And if you go to the homepage on their website, you'll see a list of other organizations that make use of that building. From refugee resettlement to after-school programs, from housing assistance to organizations working with adults who have disabilities, their building, which is very large, is constantly being used by many different organizations, and different organizations have their offices inside that church building. And another thing, no matter if, if you are a neighborhood church or an attractional church, it is still important to connect with other churches around you. Not just other people doing similar things as you, but other churches geographically, physically near you, both within your neighborhood and in your city. Even if you think that your church is the best church in your city, God is still at work in other churches and Christians and church leaders all around your area, and they are working towards the same goal of seeing Christ transform their communities. So, so start attending the local pastor's breakfast. Go to the citywide minister equipping events. Here in Richmond, there's an organization called For Richmond, which is just trying to connect all the churches in Richmond metro area so that pastors and churches can work together on specific issues in our city. So join a network like that or, or start one by talking to other pastors around you. As the For Richmond website says, simply put, we believe that we are better together. So, join with other practitioners of the gospel in your city. So, these are some of the benefits that both neighborhood churches and attractional churches have. Neighborhood churches are intensely local and are often very involved in the lives of their community and intimately know the needs of their community. Attractional churches often simply just have more resources. And again, I'm not just talking about money. And, and attractional churches can get people who would otherwise be disconnected from their community involved in some sort of community development. 
As the attractional church cares for the community right around where they gather, they model for the parishioners and attenders what it means to follow the call of Christ to love our neighbor as ourself. If any church pays attention, spends time in prayer and and meeting with community leaders, I believe that God will move in a big way in their neighborhood and that because of the way God is working through the church that we can see more equitable transformation and revitalization in our neighborhoods. So now we're going to look at what I meant when I wrote that the church could be a barrier between the capitalistic market and the disadvantaged. This is an idea that comes from an article that D.L. Mayfield wrote on the church and gentrification as she explained Habitat for Humanity strategy, and I think it is something worth considering. Capitalistic forces can be kind of relentless to those who are disadvantaged to the system, to those who aren't able to participate in the market in ways that propel capitalism and revenue making forward. In the same documentary on San Francisco that I mentioned in episode two, uh, Pelosi interviews Gavin Newsom, who was then lieutenant governor of California, and what he says is that, and I quote, It's not good enough for companies to say, we create jobs and generate revenue. They have to find a way to be responsible for the world outside their doors. (laughs) So, even though that is the way we want companies to operate, The capitalistic market doesn't always provide the incentive for them to do that, so many don't. And this is where the church fits in. One of the main reasons the church as an institution exists is to care for and be responsible for the world outside their doors. Mayfield writes in her article for Sojourners, How Churches Are Confronting Gentrification, that... And I quote, when the poorest of your neighbors continually face the brunt of a system designed not to care about them, gentrification becomes a church issue. And I would contend so does the neighborhood decline that we have looked at. She writes later then in that same article that in in an age of ever increasing inequality, Christians can proclaim people over prophets and live out our stated beliefs of loving and caring for our neighbors, particularly when it comes to displacement. You are probably wondering then what this tangibly looks like, and unfortunately that is something that will have to be discerned in your context. It will require finding creative ways to do ministry and outreach and be leaders in your community, but it isn't an insurmountable task. One of the most obvious places to start this is with affordable housing and, you know, finding the magic bullet of how to organize, build, and maintain affordable housing still hasn't happened and I don't anticipate that it will, but that doesn't mean the church can't do the hard work of advocating for or actually trying to provide affordable housing. And other ways of being a barrier will require local church leaders spending time in prayer together to discern how God is inviting them to help the disadvantaged in their communities. As the church, we can work to subvert the destructive economic forces that can both displace our neighbors and lead our neighborhoods into long and slow decline. This will be very hard work and will definitely involve some contentious conversations, but I believe that it is worth it. Because as we do this, trusting the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us, we are bringing the peace of Christ with us. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus tells his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. 
What a wonderful message that we can take with us as we work to subvert the destructive economic forces in our neighborhoods. Transformation is chaotic and capitalism is chaotic. But as I talked about in the last episode, the church is well situated to be a place of the peace of Christ in the midst of that chaotic change. So lastly, I would suggest that, um, that we focus on jobs and focus intensely on local jobs. I think this is a very important thing that we can do as the church to, to, again, subvert the destructive economic forces. And income is one of the most basic needs that we have, but there needs to be opportunities near our neighborhoods for people to earn that income. There are many people in our communities that are restricted in where they have access to jobs, either because of transportation, mobility issues, or because they have, they have multiple jobs and they need to be closer to home to care for their family in between working. And one thing that, that church leaders might be able to do is to encourage local businesses to hire locally. This could be retail businesses, it could be, it could be warehouse jobs, or really any type of business in the neighborhood. If we can connect local businesses with local employees, our neighborhoods can have a stable footing from which we can flourish. So one of the possible ways that this could work is to try and and create some sort of job pool for employers and employees. If the businesses agree to it, they can reach out to the people organizing the job pool with the type of employee that they need to hire, and then the job pool can send over a few resumes and people for them to interview and hire. Doing this can make it easier for the businesses to find employees and easier for employees to find work, which will increase the overall well-being of an area. Of course, this is an ideal scenario, but there are likely already some sort of job training organizations that do something similar to this. So as church leaders, we can reach out to and partner with these types of organizations so that our neighborhoods can flourish. And one of, the, one of the biggest reasons for a neighborhood decline is that jobs are moving away from them, that industries are closing down, and the jobs now available can no longer support the type of lives they used to be able to support. One of the biggest reasons for displacement is that the jobs the residents have aren't able to sustain the cost of living as it rises in neighborhoods. So helping people find and keep jobs near their homes is an exciting and lasting way for the church to engage with neighborhood transformation. Churches still have an influence in their community, and and church leaders are in a great position to advocate for more businesses to come into the neighborhoods. And a lot of focus lately has been given to helping small businesses start in neighborhoods too, and this is another way that the church can help. With the popularity of microloans and other small business startup strategies, the church can help entrepreneurs in their neighborhoods start businesses, which eventually could also create more jobs as well. It has to be noted with that that most of these small business startups are known to shut down again after just a few short years, but the people involved in the process of creating a business will be building skills that will be useful for them and their community down the road. So this is, this is a wonderful way to increase the resources in a neighborhood, not just economic, but the skills and opportunities of the people in the neighborhood. So in, in each of these options we've talked about today, the focus is on utilizing and building upon the resources that are already in the community. So putting on a missionary mindset, 
using attractional or neighborhood church models, being a barrier between the capitalistic market and the disadvantaged, and focusing on local jobs, all start with the foundation of the community's resources. The church simply holds the key ingredient to community flourishing, and that is Jesus Christ. I truly believe that through Jesus, with the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, that we can get a taste of what the Garden of Eden was like before the fall. That we can get a taste of what the new heavens and the new earth, of what that garden city of the new Jerusalem will be like after Jesus' return. It's why we are starting a church here in Richmond called Garden City Church. I really do believe that the true key is Christ, and I think that the body of Christ, or the church, is well-situated to be a central force in equitable neighborhood transformation. I believe that God is making all things new, and that he asks us, his church, to join with him as co-workers in bringing his peace. This conversation here should just be the start of the journey for all of us as we engage with our local neighborhoods. Going back into episode one, I mentioned that I think this podcast is relevant for any follower of Jesus in a setting where their neighborhood is changing or in a setting where their neighborhood is not changing yet. I think you'll have found this to be true, and I hope you'll continue to think and pray about creative ways to engage with neighborhood transformation. As the church looks at it, we, we should be thinking about how we can represent Christ in the midst of that transformation. We might be looking forward to eternity with Christ in the new earth, but we firmly live in this earth now, in these neighborhoods, and around these neighbors. It isn't good enough for us to just proclaim the kingdom of heaven and then wait for Christ to return. But we should be compelled into the love of our neighbors each and every day because of the love Christ has for us and for everyone around us. I hope you will join me in doing the hard work of discerning how to be the presence of Christ in the midst of neighborhood transformation. Well, thanks for tagging along these last few weeks. It's been a lot of fun to create this podcast, and I hope that your wheels don't stop turning after you shut off this audio, but I I hope and pray that you will keep thinking and talking and praying about about what this looks like in your context, how how you and your churches can engage with neighborhood transformation and, and be discerning where God is inviting you to go in your local communities. So, until next time, grace and peace.